0: What would you say if you can get 10 paid off properties, get $20,000 a month in net cash flow? Like, what would you do with that money? Is that even possible? Well, Derek Sherrill, that ADU guy, is going to break all that down coming up next. Welcome to the Cash Flow Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host, Josh Baldovino. And on this show, you can join us live as we interview investors and share how they are increasing their cash flow. So, Grab a drink, and let's get into it. Derek, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on. I mean, gosh, I met you at a Fresno conference, and uh, you asked social media questions. I immediately had to meet you, and then learning about everything that you're doing is just crazy. I mean, 10 paid-off houses, that is, that's the dream for a lot of investors, Yeah, slow
1: slow and steady. Thank you. I hope to share with uh, your listeners how they can do it too.
0: So, real quick, just for context, let's dive right into it. What is the origin story? How'd you get into real estate?
1: Yeah, great question. So, I got into real estate really by default. Uh, I live in a high priced West Coast market. I'm in Southern Oregon. And, you know, I grew up, I kind of share my story. I grew up single mom, uh, living in apartments. We never really talked about money because there was guilt and shame. We didn't have any. Uh, I decided, uh, when I was about 16, that I was going to pursue some kind of a trade and, uh, our high school woodshop teacher selected a few kids and we thought we were special and he was selecting this class for us. And in hindsight, it was like, these kids probably don't have a chance at college. I'm going to teach them a skill. And this high school woodshop teacher got us together and we built an illegal ADU for one of our other teachers. And if anybody on the, on the program here doesn't know what an adu is it's an accessory dwelling unit just think small guest house in the backyard so i started an apprenticeship right after that in high school and um right when i graduated high school i got my contractor's license and went right into being a worker bee and a few years of that uh before it even occurred to me that i could probably build my own house let alone my own rental property I got on the property ladder in 2002 with my first home purchase, and the house hack strategy, as it's known now, was not heard of. It was really just like, how can I buy a house and make it affordable? And that was with using roommates, um, converting garages to living spaces, and then eventually building the uh, standalone detached ADU, which is now my bread and butter.
0: Dude, that is, that is fun. When did, I guess, what year did it all start? Do you start building and then investing in yourself? What's that process?
1: Yeah. So in um, 1996, I built my first accessory dwelling unit. And then, um, you know, I spent a lot of years just living paycheck to paycheck, like many contractors do feast or famine, making a lot of money, spending a lot of money. And it wasn't until 2002 that I was able to buy my first property. Kind of a funny story. You know, it's we, we understand how hard it is to get in the market now, Um, It was almost the opposite. Then in 2002, they were, that was like the heart of the subprime lending. So I went into a lender. I said, um, I'd like to buy this house. She asked me how much you made, how much do you make? And I said, this is what I make. She said, no, you don't. You make this. She said, what are your assets? I said, I don't have any other assets. She said, yes, you do. They're these. And basically was able to just do a, what's called a stated income. And today new investors don't know what that is. And what that means is either you or the loan officer, basically makes up whatever number they need to, to get you the loan. So I got a loan for $195,000 at 7.85% in 2002 and, uh, started on the property ladder then. So that was kind of the, um, the entry that was a primary mortgage that accidentally turned into a rental. Like so many of our peers, you know, we, we got into this accidentally and I had a couple uh, rentals. A few years after that, and then I kind of sat stagnant, working a W two job as a fireman. The the couple of rentals in the background were just like they were just one other thing, like kind of like this background noise. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until about fifteen years ago, uh, twelve to fifteen years ago, that I, I realized if I plan this out and take a slow, steady path, uh, I could easily replace my income in less than ten years. I did that in five, and then I kept working because I thought that was the secure, safe thing to do. And Come to find out it was probably more risky to stay at my real job, but that's kind of been my experience.
0: Interesting. Okay. So long contact, which is good. A lot of people think it's a really a a get rich quick scheme, but it's not granted you crushed your goals, which is amazing. Uh, Maybe the quick follow up question I have on that is you mentioned that quitting your W2 was the less or was the more risky thing to do. Like, Why do you say that not staying in your stable fire job wouldn't be the stable move?
1: Well, really, because it was just it, it was a limiting belief that I thought I needed to stay at this this job. I mean, a, a firefighting a structural firefighting job is really hard to get. There's a lot of people that compete for a few slots and that's part of it. There's the image, you know, part of my identity was being a fireman. So I was kind of glued to that. And really the, the deciding factor um, to stay, not stay for the last probably five years was the awesome benefits. So the insurance policy and we, we were just taught in school, you know, get a good job, get good benefits, get a 401k. Um, so I it took me honestly five years to really unravel with pen and paper that, you know, OK, I have this awesome Cadillac policy, but it's two thousand dollars a month. That's like one and a half units. Uh, I have this great 457B, which is a, basically a government version of a 401k. Well, I could still. Um, set up a corporation and pay myself and set up a self-directed fund. I can put 6,000 a year into an IRA. Like I could, I could replace that benefit. Um, The security of knowing that I'm always going to have a job. Well, government employees get laid off too. Like there wasn't all the security I thought I had. And when I finally let go of those golden handcuffs and went full-time into managing my portfolio and looking to expand it, like every day there's opportunities that I get just, just because I'm able to show up that I would never get if I was still on the job. So um, I just had a lot of fear, and I, I like sharing the story because I had so much fear of like financial insecurity of leaving such a, thir- a sure thing. But really, in reality, in my case, when I wrote it all down and I put a number next to all of it, it, it was just a math problem. It wasn't security. It was just like if, if I lose this, then I need that, and to get that, I can do this. So that's kind of the unpacked version of your follow up there. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I
0: mean, you were able to show up to put yourself in front of more doors of opportunity than if you had to spend 40. Um, obviously, if you're a firefighter, now you're actually sleeping there, too. So there's a lot more than 40 hours a week, which mm-hmm. obviously can then just constrain in terms of growth and opportunities. So, dude, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you're all over bigger pockets for ADUs. And you are that ADU guy. Why are ADUs so amazing?
1: You know, I I think they're really amazing uh, for me and my story because of really the market I'm in and the legislation that allows them. So to really deploy this strategy, you have to be in a high rent area, um, higher rent area. They don't work in all areas. You also um, have to have a strong demand for rent. And you also have to have either local or state legislation that allows these outright, um, allowable by use based on your zoning. So I just happened to grow up in a state Oregon that was on the cutting edge of infill housing legislation, where basically the state has come down and said, Hey, cities above 10,000 people, you have to allow at least one ADU on every single lot in any of your cities that allows a single family house. So part of um, this strategy just happened to be luck by where I was at and where I, um, started my investment career really and in terms
0: of just the net result for you just to kind of tease the audience you build an adu in your area in in south oregon how much are you expecting to then profit or what's the value increase there
1: yeah awesome question so it really comes down to any other real estate deal and any other asset class i mean we make money in a couple different ways you know we can force appreciation we can make a higher return by putting less of our money in or kind of a combination of those two. So what what I do on an average acquisition, I would say, is I'm looking for a single-family house with a large lot that's three hundred dollars to $500,000 that I'm going to come into with long-term fixed-rate financing. And then I'm going to build an ADU between 400 and 600 square feet, standalone, detached, for under 70000 and the market rate rent for that right now is about 1500 bucks a month. So you can wow. do some pretty quick math and understand that it's a great return. There's um, there's a, a ton of other benefits. You know, the, the duplex strategy is, is also very similar. A triplex is, is a, another great strategy, but there's a lot more competition um, from higher level investors, institutional money. There's also some requirements that are different for lending. Uh, if you're, minus if you can qualify and meet the ratios for an FHA loan in your area, which in high value markets, it's really hard to meet those ratios to get those three and a half percent FHA multifamily loans. But if it's an ADU or a house with two ADUs, you can still qualify for uh, conventional 5% down long-term QM money, which has really been my secret. That's why it's such a slow, steady path is because I'm looking to buy primary residences, which I occupy while I, build out the house and the property. And then a year or two later, I just go repeat the strategy and put that old primary house into service as a rental property. Gotcha. I mean, that's,
0: that's amazing. <laughs> you're, you're, you're finding what is the, I, mean, I want to say like the least amount of money down, obviously you're paying cash for these ADUs, but you're spending $70,000 to build them. What do they rent for on average? And then what is the equity created as a result?
1: Yeah, exactly. So they um, right now in our market, the the models I'm building for 70,000 rent for 1500. And that's that 70,000 is all inclusive. That's, you know, me planning, designing underground site work, full build turnkey landscape done. Um, We'll look over a couple of pictures in a minute here, but they're super simple. It starts with uh, the the cost savings. You know, people call me every day from all over the country and they say, Derek, I love your ADU. I just got a quote for something similar and it's $300,000. And you know the, there's a bunch of really simple principles that we can use to keep our, our costs down when we build these, yet still make them nice and custom and desirable. And I like to tell people I build a really high demand, low supply product. And these, these ADUs are cool because all your competition is gonna be in the multifamily. Very, very few people build one-one standalone houses because they're not super efficient. If you use this ADU code, um, that's kind of the exception to the rule. And so most of my tenants, uh, clients, I call them come to me, um, from an apartment and they're used to having shared wall over under side by side. And they walk into a cute little standalone house with plenty of privacy, hardwood floors, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, uh, in unit washer and dryer, and they fall in love with these places. So that's kind of the, Um, the scoop on uh, the cost and the design and how to keep it uh, low. And then as far as what kind of value they're going to add, I always tell people it depends on your neighborhood. So if you have a median price point house in California and it's say it's $400 a square foot and you build a thousand square foot ADU, you can anticipate, I always tell people to conservatively anticipate 75% of square foot value compared to the primary house. So in that example, $400 Four hundred dollars a square foot. You build a four hundred thousand dollar ADU. Theoretically, I would value that at three hundred, just because I'm conservative. So seventy five percent of the square foot price. Um, I have built several ADUs for seventy thousand dollars, and I'll go pull an appraisal to do a HELOC, and um, and they'll be well over the square foot value of the primary house. So I like to I like to think that um, I'm building these for half of ARV every time. But one disclaimer, if there's like a, if you've got some kind of cool asterisk graphic to like pop up in the screen, it's, I'm doing a lot of this work. So I'm a general contractor. I do the site work. I do the planning. I do the design. I do most of the build, actually like the physical building myself, because that's my art. That's the, the part I enjoy. It's not completely scalable. It's not for everybody. So not everybody is going to be able to um, love the graphics. Not everybody is going to be able to meet these numbers, but it is possible. And that's kind of what I um, do now with my consultation is I I teach normal homeowners that aren't builders how to manage the project. They don't have to do a single thing or swing a hammer, but if you can manage a project, run a schedule, make decisions, handle conflict once in a while – you're going to save 40% on your build. And there's nothing wrong with the process of how it works, but you have a homeowner here who's trying to keep costs down to drive revenue. And over here, you have a builder who's trying to drive profit to feed their family naturally. So your your revenue and the builder making more money are are, are working in opposite directions. The only way to correct that, if you're going to do build to rent, such as I do with the ADU strategy, is to bring that in-house and self-manage the project. Gotcha.
0: No, that's that makes a lot of sense. Um, if then, so you're saying that between the 400 and the 600 square foot ADU, and let's actually let's show some pictures right now. So if you are listening to this on the post play and you are on the podcast, this is your excuse to then go onto YouTube and watch this, so that way you can see Derek's beautiful units. Uh, what are we looking at here?
1: Yeah, so this is one of my um, this is one of my bread and butter units. This is a 524 square foot one bedroom, one bath ADU. It's kind of a cabin style, super simple. It's got a nice, cute eight foot covered front porch. You can see there. Uh, there's a pull down attic ladder in the front porch of that um, that unit for storage, and it's got a 200 square foot loft above it. And you can just click through those. Yeah. Um, and the, the nice things about this design, as we look at the exterior are just the simplicity, you know, it's, it's a rectangle. It literally is a rectangular box with a single roof pitch. Uh, there's the inside kind of showing the wood floors, uh, that 200 square foot attic, uh, loft space up there is, is a great spot to put, um, you know, winter clothes or put a guest if you, you have an overnight friend, I always use a one-wall galley kitchen, you can see there. So one mm-hmm. huge cost-saving measure is putting all your cabinets and countertops on one wall with no turns or breaks. So that that's alone is a $5,000 savings. Um, I use pocket doors for my bedroom, so it feels like a studio when you walk in. But you can still, um, you know, let people, uh, you can close off those doors to have privacy, mm-hmm. Um, there's volume. It's a 16 foot tall vaulted ceiling. So one thing that we want to do, if you can hold it, that picture, that's a, yeah. that's a good one that talks about everything. So you can see the double pocket doors there into the the bedroom. So again, you're, you're not closed off. There's, there's open light on all the walls. You can see through there's a a vaulted ceiling that's 16 feet tall. So there's, uh, again, you don't have a lot of surface area, but if you can, if you can be light and bright and tall, it makes up for it. So this is going to live a lot bigger. If this was a, a 524 square foot ADU with eight foot ceilings, you'd almost feel like, you know, you're in prison, but with all the natural light and the high ceilings, a couple other things I do, uh, again, affordable, affordable, affordable. That does not mean cheap. You can see here real nailed down hardwood floors. Douglas for custom attic ladder, designer appliances, custom cabinets, granite countertops. So just because we're trying to save money doesn't mean we're giving our clients who are our tenants the very best. Like there's very few multifamily complexes where you would go into and see such nice finishings. Mm -hmm. Um, But since we have simple design and we repeat it over and over, we're able to really save money.
0: Well, one thing that I really like too that's different I mean, high, the it's very bright, it's light, feels airy, because the high ceilings, like you said, you have that room. But even if you look at just the land that you're buying and where you're placing it, I mean, at least with the pictures that are here, there's, like, this doesn't seem like your normal ADU. There's, there's, there's a little bit of room to breathe,
1: and I'm sure yeah. that goes a
0: long way for your tenants.
1: Yeah, no, it totally does, and I'll tell you right now, Josh, that tenants want the same thing that homeowners want when they're looking to buy or rent. And this is based on, you know, my 27 years of experience. Um, Some people would agree or disagree with some of these points, but location, privacy, and amenities are the top three. So if you can give your tenant a little bit of privacy and maybe room for a pet, they've got a little bit of room to breathe. Like you said, you're really just going to separate yourself from the competition. So whenever I'm buying a property, like price is way less important for me than location and infrastructure Mm. and buildability. So many people I know just are always looking for a deal. It's like, you know, Warren Buffett, when he was a value investor, he was always walking around looking for that cigar to take one more puff off. And, um, you know, a lot of investors I see doing the same thing. Where's the most distressed cheapest house I can buy. And with my model, you know, I, I don't ever really get a deal. I usually pay market rate on the mls if not more because i'm looking for different things
0: totally you know i mean it's uh you put in a gas stove and uh which which is very nice for a tenant base versus you're just regular electric and obviously you can pay a little bit more because you are adding another two hundred thousand dollars in value
1: yes oh for sure yeah and it's it's not just about um what's cost effective for me it's like what is what does my tenant want and knowing the tenant base that i have intimately because i've been building for them for so long um you know i they like gas stoves you know they they all like uh, on demand hot water heaters so i started using those Mm -hmm. um you know high efficiency building principles of uh of using extra insulation and building the earth advantage platinum standard. So my tenants have very, very, very low bills. Uh, you can see in this picture, there's a mini split HVAC system, uh, hot, cold, that's an inverted unit. That's, um, almost as highly efficient as you can get. In fact, that would be the HVAC system we would go for if we're going for a net zero house. This one isn't because it has gas in it. Um, mm-hmm. but they're highly efficient. So these houses uh, you're talking water, s- sewer, Gas, power are usually fifty dollars or less per month. Which yeah. to, to think about that stacked up against wow. an older home. I mean, that's that could be a couple hundred dollars a month savings for the tenant.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: With obviously a much cleaner, newer kitchen.
0: How long is it taking you to build these?
1: You know, they they range. Um, I usually tell clients if somebody's going to build their own plan for a year, that's three months to come up with the design, uh, and get through permitting, and then another three months to allow your city or your municipality to issue all the proper permits, and then approximately six months to build. So one year is pretty fair to to share. Um, personally, I've built ADUs in ninety days from start to finish. Wow, but. <laughs> Again, that's like, that's, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's the norm. Uh, I've yeah. also helped people who have spent two or three years building an ADU. So it all depends on like your goals and your priorities and your resources. And it's not just money. It's, it's like your time or mm-hmm. um, your city. Like some people could probably do it every time in four months, but they're in Southern California and it takes six months to get their permits. And then it takes six months for the builder to show up because everybody's so busy right now. So a, there's a lot of variables. But if everything's perfect, I mean you can build these really quick. So how about let's talk prefab versus custom?
0: Yeah. Who should be using the prefab model? Obviously, it may be
1: deep pockets. <laughs> uh, and yeah.
0: how much harder is it to go custom?
1: You know, it's easier, in my opinion, with, with my experience to go custom built every time you know there's there's some companies that are getting close um, there's some companies that have potential there's some mm-hmm. companies that have a lot of marketing you know like boxable there oh we have a $50,000 home that Elon Musk lives in order yours now well try to call the company try to read a review from anybody that's ever had one delivered call a municipality that's allowed one of those as an allowable use. That's not in an RV park. I love the concept. I want them to win. Eventually somebody is going to come out and just kill it with a modular. But right now they're not more cost effective. They're not really available. Um, There's a company that uh, the co owner of Airbnb started and they have a really nice product. They have a set price. You can go on there and see their exact price. I really like that. They're like, here's the price period um, based on our site visit. But if you go read their reviews, when it comes push comes to shove and the rubber meets the road, and consumers are actually ordering these from this big company that has plenty of dispendable income, they're not getting good reviews. They're they're showing up, they're not ready. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks to put them together. They're having trouble getting certificate of occupancies, they're having trouble. Um, you know, you've got this third party working with the jurisdiction that they're not familiar with. You've got these mm-hmm. small planning and zoning and building departments that are seeing big big capital and big money and startups come into their office and they're, you know, there's human elements in all this. So if you're looking at a prefabricated unit, I would tell you first and foremost, call the company, try to get a set of plans from the company and take that set of plans to your local jurisdiction and see if you can get it permitted. Um, And then after that, I would go look at reviews and look at references, look at reviews and try to get a hold of real people that have actually used that product. And then after that, compare the price to a local ADU builder. And I I still have seen anybody do a better job than custom on-site build. I'd also like to mention that you still have the hardest part of the build if you go modular, which is the site work. you got to get water, sewer, power, cable, gas to that site. You've got to build a perimeter, concrete, footing, and foundation or slab. Mm -hmm. And then you have to erect the, the building or deliver the building. So there are cases, like I said, where this is really going to be efficient. Like if you had a perfectly brand new manufactured home park or you had uh, a big piece of land that had RV zoning and you were able to go in and pour a bunch of slabs and put in water sewer power at each of these slabs, I would love to just truck in a hundred of these at a time. You can't do that with a custom built. But what we're talking about when we're talking ADUs, it's usually in the side yard or backyard of a house. And a lot of these situations, there's trees, there's grade, there's all these reasons why you can't crane one in or drop one off. Uh, most cases, it's it's uh, every case I've seen, it's it's more cost effective and more efficient to build in place.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously the- they... they-
1: Oh, go ahead. The, the, oh yeah. I was just going to say it's, there are some pros too that I will give prefab or manufactured is they're built off site. So a lot of the work and the noise and the disruption is already done when it gets there. Um, it is way more scalable. Like I said, somebody will figure it out and do a good job. And I argue this point to people all the time. We have all these startups and all these Silicon Valley companies trying to build prefab ADUs. We have this product. We've had it for years. It's owned by you know, again, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Clayton Homes, we're basically trying to reinvent a manufactured home. Folks, we already have them call Clayton Homes and get a 600 square foot single wide with a cool, trendy, you know, roof pitch, and then build a nice little entry on it. It's like, we're, we're, I feel like we're trying to reinvent the wheel. The one benefit that manufactured housing already has on all these prefab units is it has a HUD, Uh, approved plate so the federal government has already said this is allowed so like in california if you're going to buy one of these prefab you're going to have to meet all these uh, energy efficiency requirements and solar and whatnot if you go with an a traditional hud stamped manufactured home you don't have to follow any of that state regulation because it's governed by federal authority so if you're looking at uh, if you're listening to this and you're looking at an off-site version of some sort start with a manufactured home
0: I like it. I like it. And if, and if you think about uh, building an ADU, let us know. There's a couple of questions here that we have in the comments. And if you have any more questions as well, please drop them in. Uh, let's pull some of these up. And All right, Jacqueline. When you first started out and were learning what worked, did you look for deals as a result of less capital? If so, would you have changed that strategy to yours as now? What are the top three priorities? I guess... Um, maybe what I was thinking for say is, did you look for deals just because you didn't have as much capital is how you looked for 25
1: years ago, different than what you're looking for today? Um, you know, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever got that question. Uh, I would say, (laughs) no, I'm looking for the exact same thing. And I'll tell you this with, if you're on a budget, what I would look for is, um, is I would look for a house that has some sort of potential within the current house that you're financing to put a second unit inside of it. So in other words, look for a three, two where the master bedroom has an exterior entrance and it obviously already has its own bathroom. So you could legally permit and wall off the door into the hallway, put in fire and life safety code requirements, a smoke detector and you could literally have a one bedroom, one bath and a two bedroom, one bath on a 5% down or three and a half to 5% down conventional owner occupied loan. That's what I would do. The only thing that's changed now, um, I, was, I still look for that personally, but I'm, also, I'm looking for that and room to deploy a detached unit. So if you're in California where I know you are, you have by right, you can do two a JADU, which is 500 square feet incorporated somewhere inside the interior of the primary house, including garage. And you can build a detached, uh, in my market, you can build two, one attached, one detached. So the only thing I would say that I do different now is I make sure that there's all there's room for an interior and there's, there's gotta be land bank, um, somewhere land bank on that property. Like, is it big enough to split into a whole nother lot where I can, build a house and two more ADUs, but there at least has to be room to build something standalone detached. So good question. Thank you for that.
0: I like it. And Tennessee
1: Tweedy, is there a certain tenant base for ADUs? So who
0: is your usual tenant base?
1: Oh, wonderful question. You know, in my market doing this for so long, it, it's almost the same person. It's It's been um, teachers and nurses, 25 to 45 that are just out of a serious long-term relationship, but before they get married and they're working on their career and they drive an all-wheel drive car, they have backpacking gear, a bike and a kayak that they need to store. Like that is it. I mean, I literally have th- these lofts are to hold a kayak. Like the, the designs of my ADUs are about my tenant. Um, I have had, uh, because they're one bedroom, one bath, it's usually a single professional. At times there are, Um, you know, I, I've had, uh, mother, son, you know, single moms, uh, -hmm. dad, son, but most of the time it's, it's a single professional who's yet to get married. I like it. And how long are they staying there for usually? The average tenant stays for 36 months. Wow. And obviously in your market, but that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm really proud to say that several of my tenants and and I don't like try to preach to them, but all my tenants kind of know what I do and they know I'm an advocate for infill housing and they know that I do ADU outreach all the time. So Mm -hmm. I always tell my tenants, there's no reason I I see your credit. I see your financials um, because my qualification, I also self-manage. So, uh, which is really important if we want to talk about that in a minute, but I, Mm -hmm. I know that they qualify to buy their own house. And so I tell them, Hey, you know that you could buy your own house and do this too, and rent one of these to your, you know, some nurse in your department and you can get on the property ladder. And several of my tenants over the years have left one of my rentals and went and bought their first house. And I'm really proud to say that, like, that's, that's pretty cool. And there's so many landlords or property management companies in this business that just do not give a crap about tenants. And if you really, um, display the opposite and you really feel the opposite of that and you want to help your tenants, you know, you get, I, I think in return, you get really good tenants. I like that a lot. I mean, I mean other, obviously
0: being in the investing space, you meet a lot of different landlords who think otherwise. And a lot of people don't want to tell their tenant base that it's possible even how to kind of do what they're doing. I mean, you're taking the exact opposite approach of teaching them how
1: mm-hmm.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, Why are you financing them with cash? Why aren't you taking out leverage to build these ADUs?
1: You know, just comfort. Uh, Really, probably I was a builder in, you know, 06, 07, 08 in the run up. I saw a lot of my friends, um, you know, start to go into hard times when the market slowed down. They sold their boats, then they sold their dirt bikes, and they sold their second house, and then they lost their primary home. And I saw that happen to several people I knew that got over leveraged. And there's a really fine line in my lane of thought between growth and greed. And knowing what I know now, I'm more conservative because I've seen people get injured and, and I don't want to lose what I have kind of in a selfish way. But, you know, in hindsight, to answer your question, 10 years ago, if I would have known the run up was coming, um, I could have leveraged everything. And and I would have hundreds of units, but the chance and the quality of my life from 15 units to 500 units would be very little change. If any, the change in my quality of life from going from 15 to, to five or from 10 to zero would drastically affect my ability to run and ski and go help my friends for free. So I just kind of have always had a more conservative approach is it's not more and more and more. It's like, how can I just live a modest life and not lose it? So I've always decided to try to stay around 50-ish uh, percent LTV. And so I'll finance a house with as low down payment as I can with long-term fixed rate. And then I've always just felt safest building the infill with cash on hand. And then as opposed to burn my money back out, which I probably should have done in hindsight, I probably should have burned a bunch of money out at 3% and just let it sit there while I paid interest on it. So I could go out and swoop up a bunch of stuff in the next 12 to 24 months, which would have been the way better play. Um, But I didn't do that. Instead, I just pulled out HELOCs on those primaries while they were primaries before I went to the next project. And so I have, these pockets of of equity with zero balance ready to deploy with 10-year draw periods. So if I saw like that that big beach ball, you know, melt yeah. high fastball hung out over the middle of the plate, I could go grab that money and go jump on it. But I I still I'm really, really, really careful. Um, I like lots of equity because to me, it's that safety. And and a lot of people in in real estate would argue, no, no, you need to leverage that. And you have all this lazy equity, which is true, but it's, this is an individual game. It really is. Yeah. It's personal finance because it's personal and that's what's, you know, building ADUs with cash is what uh, is comfortable for me. No, oh, I mean,
0: I appreciate the transparency. Everybody right now, right? If you're talking about social media is how can you leverage smartly? Uh, and you're doing that. So just in your own comfort zone, uh, if you're watching this on the post, play, I'd be curious to know, what would you do? Would you keep 10 houses paid off? Or what would you do with that equity? Just in the comments, just for a fun discussion. So you can let us know. I'll look on that in a couple of days.
1: Um, okay. Josh, I I- I- yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add to that and say, you know, just, just before, as you're answering that, you know um, it, it's not, it's really, really important that we identify our goals. Like what, what do you want in your life and what makes you happy? If it's having a portfolio of a couple hundred units, you're going to scale and love it. But if it's, if it's to spend more time with your wife and kids, or if it's to get really good at Brazilian Jitsu, or it's to whatever it is, you may not need all that leverage and risk. So, you know, just as important as where are you headed is what do you want? I like it. I like it. Um, well, let's change gears a little bit. I think you've also
0: not only have achieved the cash flow goal for a lot of investors, uh, but you also have been on the Bigger Pockets podcast. So, what's that story? How did you get on the podcast, and then what did that do to your business?
1: You know, really, I just got on the podcast by luck, I think. And and <laughs> one of the questions that they they asked in the application was, you know, what show do you want to be on? There's, there's the money show and the rookie show and the the main show. And, and I really just said, Hey, what, whatever, I don't know who reads this, if anybody will ever read it, but whatever one you think will help the most amount of people. And I think I really got an opportunity to be on there with people that are way out of my league was just the normalcy, like just somebody totally normal, working a regular job doing the same thing over and over, um, just average steps over and over that eventually yielded extraordinary results so that was pretty cool to share that story um i did say and i I didn't know that it was going to air when you get the the package they say hey we'll we'll shoot this but it may or may not go and you know there's a lag of i don't know three to six weeks and so when i was on that show i said uh, when it was over i was talking to to David and Henry. And I just said, you know, if this does air, I'll probably, cause I, I gave my, my name and my number out at the end. I was like, Hey, if you're building an ADU and you need some help, like, like I'm small enough that if you call me, I'll answer, just be ready to take action because I don't have a lot of time to waste. And they're like, Oh, your phone's going to blow up and, and whatnot. And I just, I told them after the show, I said, Hey, if this actually does air, I'm going to quit my job. Uh, because if I got, you know, a thousand emails from people and each callback was a half hour to an hour, Like it would take me a year to get back to everybody. And so um, as far as my business, most of my business is just doing outreach. Like I'm not not setting up a funnel to get deals or setting up a funnel to call my team and schedule an appointment with my team and make all this money. Like uh, I'm building the business after I was financially free. So I didn't Mm -hmm. have any like, there's none of these hooks to get work. In fact, it's almost not, it's not been a burden, but it's been more of a strain on my time than like a benefit to my business. Um, I've always done the same thing. And in my small little scale, people knew what I did. Now having some more national recognition is really powerful. Not for me. It has nothing to do with me. Like cover me up. It's just, everybody knows more about ADUs. I I honestly think I've had a small influence on the, the circle, the, the small circle of investors that, talk about stuff on social media or talk about stuff on podcasts here and there. And, and ADUs are becoming more trendy, you know, with or without me, but just, I feel like I can be an advocate to this awesome infill strategy to really just create more housing because there's a deficit in housing right now. Um, and then I've had more opportunities. That is one cool thing. And, Uh, and the, the negative to it or not the negative, just the human aspect that I'll share with Mm -hmm. you is like, I'll meet somebody at a conference and they'll talk to me and they'll kind of, you know, just in passing, you don't get a lot of attention. And then they'll find out, um, you know, maybe some of the people I've worked with or some of the things I've done. And then they'll, they'll realize, and they'll come talk to me again in a different tone. And like, I don't know. I just. I'm if, if like you meet a star and you're starstruck, if you can think of the absolute opposite of like starstruck, like that's like meeting me, like I drive an old beat up car. I'm totally normal. I'm average at best. I've got a room temperature IQ on a good day. Uh, just the, the normality, um, of being able to share my strategy has probably been the coolest thing about getting that exposure. It's like normal average people can create wealth, uh, without the flash.
0: I love it. And if you're watching this right now, whenever you're watching this, and especially if you're watching this live, thank you. I mean, it means a lot that you spend some time with us. Uh, but clicking to his Instagram, that ADU guy, Derek gives the most practical tips just about home ownership, about landlord tips, just about things I never thought, like how to light some kind of gas fireplace that you had that I would have never known. And they're really succinct, thorough tutorials. Like You do a fantastic job at that. Uh, so oh, that's thanks. one. <laughs> the second thing that I want to mention, it, it is funny as you think about, you know, what is the impact that you have, and anyone that's watching this, I mean, I, hopefully you take Derek's story, but you don't have to just reach hundreds of thousands of people, right, and get on bigger pockets. Like, what if you could help one family member or your best friend buy their first rental property just because maybe you posted something? Like that should just hopefully be enough motivation to already just speak about about the amazing thing that you're doing. So.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and just a shout out to bigger pockets. They've been rad. You know, their, their, their producer, um, Eric is awesome. And after our show, he said, Hey, you, you've got something kind of cool to share. Maybe our, our YouTube team would want to like do some videos of what you do. And so he kicked me off over there and, and I've since done a, um, some series of videos with them. I just did another contract. Uh, there's going to be some, quite a few videos coming up in the near future about kind of infill building, um, ADUs, garage conversions, some really cool stuff. So the again, the platform is just about about sharing it. But to your point, you know, it's not just these big platforms that are cool. Like I've never said no to an interview. I mean I'm on podcasts all the time that get like six views. And if it's like one of those six, like you said, was like, "Whoa, I could convert my garage into a unit and give somebody a house and make a little money, like that's a win for me, so it's it's not about like all the big numbers and the big the big guys. I'm just as happy to to work with the little guys and little girls. So I'm glad you brought that up, Josh.
0: Yeah, well, thank you because I'm very much a little guy, And if you're watching this right now, say thanks to Derek because he's taking some time today just to drop some awesome knowledge.
1: Anytime. eventually.
0: For me, building an ADU in the Bay Area, whenever I decide to buy a primary, <laughs> the last bus I had was about why I rent in the Bay Area versus why, uh, versus buying something here. And just because for me, there's the the overhead doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, you know, when you have enough rentals and it doesn't really matter as much anymore, uh, I'll take on the extra liability. Uh, for now, just keep it low. Um, sweet. So... Last questions for you, kind of the the last call. Uh, Can you share a win and a loss from this
1: week? A win and a loss from this week. A win from this week would be, um, I've been putting a lot of effort into just contacting sellers. Um, I've transitioned at looking, I've looked at the rental market for years and years and years. And, uh, whenever I see a rental that meets my criteria, I send an email that says, Hey, would you, or your client, if it's a property manager at any chance, be interested in selling this house that you have for rent. And I usually get a no thanks. We'll keep your number maybe later. And this week I got a yes. And so I went and looked at this property. It was a perfect property. I did identified it a couple of years ago. It totally met my criteria and, um, the, the basically came up with a price. And then when I got there to look at it, um, the the price got quite a bit higher and he decided to list the property. So that was like, man, I put in so much work for this one and I obviously didn't get it. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was the loss, you know, that the highs and lows of like, man, deals are so few and far between. And when I say deal, I mean like a market rate place that will work for my strategy. There's so few Mm -hmm. and far between when I find one and it doesn't go as planned. I'm like, Oh, it's like, it's like, you're working so hard and then boom, it's gone. And then the win of the week was on the very same appointment. I'm not even kidding you. Two blocks away, I rounded the corner and I looked over and there was a vacant, a little vacant house on the corner and there was a, about a 65 year old man, clean cut, fit. Had a Prius with a tarp in the back and the hatch open, and he had a, a like a couple of digging tools. He had a, a digging bar and a post hole digger and a pick. And I just knew this is from like years of experience, like that seventh sense. Like that's a property owner that's tired and he's getting ready to turn this house. So I and he pulled in there, um, met this guy. Long story short, an amazing guy. He's got properties all over the valley, and he's starting to unwind his portfolio. And he owns this vacant house and the adjacent bare lot and a quarter acre lot behind the two of them (laughs) that we're talking about purchasing. This was two days ago and we have a tentative agreement to today um, for a creative seller finance owner carry ADU cottage cluster development. So like my win and my loss literally came in the last couple of days on the same drive within two blocks of each other. And I I just want to say, I want to preface this with like, it was luck, absolute luck. I'm so lucky, but I was lucky because I showed up. Like I was not afraid to cold email somebody. I wasn't afraid to go on that appointment. I wasn't afraid to pull in and ask somebody, hey, is this your house? Are you thinking of selling it? He could have just as easily said, hey, get lost, pal. But you get lucky when you show up. Dude, that is
0: that is powerful. I'm a firm believer in that. And congratulations on immediately turning your roadblock and mind you, how lucky you are, you pursued that house for three years. So it took luck a little bit of time to find you, but you were also had your eye on that for this, so long. So congratulations to you.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, congratulations to one of our mm-hmm. audience. Got a two story, 800 square foot ADU being built in my backyard. Highly desirable zip code in DC, seven minutes to Metro. Great info from you, Derek. Thank you, Nori. Appreciate it. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Nori. Uh, Last question for you. Uh, and this is kind of uh, just a loophole question that I did not prep you for. Uh, so because it's called the Cash Flow Happy Hour, a little bit different, uh, what was the most memorable drink you've ever had? Who was it with and what made it so memorable? Hmm. I know this one's a little thinker.
1: No, no, I I've been clean and sober for 16 years. I mean, it so, could be a coffee.
0: It doesn't have to be. Yeah. A so I, and
1: I, I'm totally open sharing that. So I don't drink. And so that's like, I'm like, when was the last drink I had? And I'm like, Oh, I can't tell that story when was the drink before <laughs> that. Oh, that wasn't a good story. Um, you know, I would say the best drink that I have is, um, you know, waking up early before skiing with, with my longtime partner, her and I, uh, sitting out in the cold, drinking a green tea. I drink mate, yerba mate. Okay. It's a uh, loose leaf green tea and, um, a little bit of honey, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of coconut milk, probably just a, a cold morning before skiing drinking, um, drinking tea with her would, would be probably the best drink I've had that I can remember.
0: I like it. Those are, uh, those are earned moments that you have definitely earned, man. So congratulations. That's a good story. And I appreciate all the knowledge uh, that you dropped on ADUs. Uh, Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, you know, you can look me up anywhere. That ADU guy on Instagram, I'm probably the most active. That ADU guy on YouTube, you can follow along. Like you said, I, I post little videos of every build that I do. If a tenant calls me for a leaky shower, I'll post a video while I'm repairing it. Anything that like I never had support doing, um, I just try to share it. Like just, even if it's something goofy, like relighting the pilot on a gas appliance, you know, just putting that, those little things out there. So that's Instagram, YouTube, that ADU guy on TikTok, that ADU guy on Facebook, that ADU guy.com is kind of my landing page. That's my website. You can schedule a consult with me. Um, Bang through the tabs on my, on my website and go to my resources page. I have a ton of free resources, like the lender that I use. I have two free sets of ADU plans that I give away. Most architects would charge you probably $2,000 for these plans. So two plan sets that I give away for free, um, lenders that I use, competitors that I um, – like the best ADU guys in California I have on my site – um Cole Peterson, who wrote the book on ADUs is up in Portland. Um, there's his info. Uh, Ryan, how to ADU in California. He's he's probably the smartest guy on ADU legislation in, in the state. So I, I share, again, it's not competition, it's collaboration. So go to my website. You can kind of read my story. There's a link to my YouTube channel. You can get in touch with me there. Send me an email. Uh, I'll get back to you. I, I answer every DM. Personally, I don't have VAs doing that for me. Um, I only have, I don't know, 3,500 Instagram followers, but I've talked to or messaged with probably every single one of them. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm available. Reach out.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I appreciate you for everything that you shared today. When I am ready to find my lot here in the Bay area and build an ADU, you'll definitely know that I'll reach out. And if you are looking to build an ADU please make sure you connect with Derek because God clearly by his answers today, you know that he is the best at it. Uh, for everyone that's watching this, if you know someone who's building ADU, make sure you share it with them, like, subscribe, all that good fun stuff. Derek, I'll see you in the green room real fast if you want to chat afterwards. But everybody, thank you so much. I'll see you all in the next time. Thanks, folks. Great job, Derek. That